Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 12 of the Nathan Wolfel Outdoors podcast. I am Nathan Wolfel of NathanWolfelOutdoors.com. As always, thank you very much for joining me. I sincerely appreciate it. Uh, a few of the housekeeping items to get up top here in the show before we get going. Um, be sure to check out the website for the latest content and latest stories, latest tips, tricks, recipes, stories from the outdoors. Be sure to visit NathanWolfelOutdoors.com. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening right now to make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, it can be downloaded straight to your mobile device as long as you subscribe, so make sure that you take care of that. And then as always, if you want to follow me, be sure to reach out on Facebook at Nathan Wolfel Outdoors or on Instagram at ndubs41, that's at ndubs41 on Instagram. Or if you want to send an email with your feedback, you can email me at natewolfel at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. So now that all that's out of the way, awesome show today. I am so stoked about the show, you guys. I think any of us who have spent time, a significant amount of time fishing, have at least dreamt about what it would be like to be a professional angler. And thought about it, thought about how we'd fare in a, in a professional tournament, thought about just what it would be like to fish competitively. And the guy we're talking to today, he lives that. We'll be talking to Josh Blosser. He's a professional angler who is currently a member of Head-to-Head uh, -head Fishing's Professional Walleye Series. He was the Event 3 champion on Mill Lax with an incredible comeback at the end. He had a really, really solid week in that tournament, but an incredible comeback in the last hour and a half or so to take the championship in that event. And we talk about that in the interview. But the meat of the interview is just a candid inside look at how a professional angler thinks and assesses situations. We get into everything from sponsorships to making the decision to turn pro and to fish these professional events to tactics to reading and assessing new bodies of water to the grind of of competitive tournament angling to memories with family and stories and the passion being shared in the good and the bad moments and Josh was such an open book and such a great guy to talk to. I could talk to Josh Blosser about fishing for hours. It did not take very long in interacting with him to realize that this guy is one of my people. I really like him. I, he, he's down to earth. He's open, honest, straight shooter, super knowledgeable. And at the end of all this, you're going to have picked up some tips on how to catch, on how to catch more fish. So this is an awesome interview. We're going to hop right into it. I hope you enjoy it. Here's our chat with Josh Blosser. All right, everyone. It's time for today's guest. And first of all, I, I want to thank him very much for joining us on the show. He is a professional walleye angler on the Pro Walleye Series of Head to Head Fishing. And he's kind enough to um, share his time and his talent, his insight with us. He is the event three winner um, of HDH Fishing here in 2021, and that is Mr. Josh Blosser. Josh, thank you very much for joining the show today, man. Really, really appreciate it. 
Hey, thank you for having me on. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. I'm going to start you with the question I start everyone with, and I know my listeners probably already know what's coming, but who got you into the outdoors? Where did your passion for being in the outdoors start? Yeah, so uh, honestly, it, it started with my grandfather. Um, when I was little, he lived up in, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, um, he lived up in Minocqua area, and I would spend time every summer up there a month, two months at a time, and part of the deal was me, and I'm actually a twin as well, um, but me and my twin, we would do yard work and stuff like that. And all that was basically the reward to get done to then get to go out fishing with grandpa. Nice. So he was the one really started off with. And also my father, uh, my father actually fished professionally on the FLW on the bass side. So we did a, a lot, a lot of fishing in our family. That was what we did. Um, you know, we had spare time. We'd go out fishing Father's Day. That's how we spent it out in a boat. So yeah, yeah. Both my my dad and uh, and my grandfather, the ones that got me started uh, really big into the outdoors and that includes hunting. I'm a big hunter as well. So how do you decide? Because it's got to be a tough choice to make if you're if you're really thinking critically about it, that you want to take the next step from being super passionate about fishing to being a tournament angler, whether it's how you exclusively make your living or not. That decision can't come lightly. How did that choice go for you? When did that happen? How did it start? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, for me personally, I kind of had uh, my older brother, Robert Blosser. Um, very, very accomplished walleye angler. Um, I, I got the opportunity, obviously, as my brother, I got to fish with him all the time. Uh, we got to do tournaments together. Um, and it got to the point where it was almost, you know, time to, time to take the leash off. Um, my, my advice for that, for those that are dabbling in smaller tournaments and, and want to progress to a higher level, is make sure you're ready. And what I mean by that is don't just jump into it because, like you said, the reality is you can make a living doing it, but most are not. Um, you don't want to go broke the first year because it's, it's <laughs> tough. That, it, I mean, you look at, look at college sports to the, to pro levels, you know, there's these athletes that absolutely dominate the college level. And then they take that next step up and they're pretty much just the number, you know, I know there's some that excel and that's the same thing here, but there is some growing pains that come with it. So I know, I mean, advice would be, don't just jump into it too early. Make sure you're ready. But at the same time, I, you know, I felt it inside. Like I said, I felt it was time to uh, remove the leash, um, almost step out of my brother's shadow. So I, I wanted to do it by myself. I wanted to go make that jump. And basically, you know, like I told him that I still remember the conversation we had when I said I was doing it. I said, I want to make my own mistakes. You know, that's how you learn. I want to go out there and I want to get my butt kicked. It's going to happen. And it did. And but I learned, and, and that's one thing I always tell everyone, any event, anytime you go out like that, if it doesn't go your way, you better be learning. And a good example of that is the last, our last head-to-head -head event at the Mississippi River. I feel I had a good event there. Um, it didn't show. I lost two fish, and, and for those that watched it, it was a, if you get one, two scoreable fish a day, you were, you were doing something. Um, I lost a six-plus pounder right by the boat day one. And I lost probably a three or a four day two. And I had one that I got in. It would have been more than enough weight to get into the top eight. But that's that's fishing. That's how it goes. Now, it wasn't a satisfying event for me. 
But I really paid attention to what was going on and watched and learned because I don't look at myself as a river guy. I, I'm, I'm learning. River, like if I got to pick, I'm not going to pick a river to go to. This is the way my fishing style. I, I love breaking down lakes. I love fishing lakes. Um, with that said, I have more room to grow and learn on river systems. So that is what I'm constantly trying to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the amount of knowledge I came out of pool two, I've never been there before. I honestly want to go fish it again with how much I learned. And that's an important thing is, you know, take something out of it, even the bad. You, you always need to be learning and progressing as an angler to compete at these high levels. And I'm going to parking lot that item because that's something your approach to how you handle some, I don't want to call it negative, but how you handle your less than ideal events, I think is super crucial. And I think what you touched on with learning new bodies of water, that's super important too. But before we get that far, um, I, just for our listeners and for my listeners, just so they know, how long ago did you decide to kind of cut the leash and let yourself loose? How long have you been in the game at, at the level you're at it now? So yeah, at the higher level, I would say I've been in it. Oh, I'm trying to put a year to it. Let's see. It's coming up on 10 years now. Um, probably, probably right around that eight mark is when I really took the step up. Um, yeah, I would say probably right around eight years or so I've been doing it at the higher level. And you can go into as much detail as you want. If you really want to get into how the sausage is made here, feel free. If you'd rather not, I am not asking you to necessarily expose any secrets or any of the inner workings of anything that you don't want to, but I think the thing people take for granted, whether it's someone who feels that they have the skill set to be a guide on the hunting or fishing side, to be a professional angler, to be a tournament angler, to, to take this a little more seriously, a lot of things that are not often considered are, are a couple aspects. One, the stars that have to align in order to make this work, especially as you're cutting your teeth, that you're not just going to decide one day that I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go fishing. And this is how I'm going to feed my family, especially if you have kids, you know, being able to have the kind of equipment you need from a budgeting standpoint, you talked about not going broke to compete. There's a certain level of stuff that it takes. And it doesn't mean that the money is everything. It's not pay to win necessarily, but you have to have a certain caliber of equipment, electronics, a bolt of a certain type that's going to work for you in different tournament settings, rods and reels, baits. It, it's never ending. Working out sponsorship deals so that not all of this always happens on your own dime. What, what did it take to make even some of these stars align for you to make it something that you could viably do? Yeah. And you, you nailed it on the head there. Um, and that was where I was kind of heading and hinting at about don't go broke right away is because like you said, you, it's not, it's not paid or, uh, it's not pay to win type stuff. It's not, you don't need the latest and greatest of everything, but like you said, you do. I mean, there's so many different techniques and they are rod specific and you have to be able to adapt. You know, you can't use an eight, six trolling rod, casting dt tens on crank or on wing dams you know it doesn't work you can't so like you have to have a good arsenal because being versatile is a big part of being successful at these higher levels um as far as let's see i'm drawing a blank here um yeah so with your equipment you know electronics is a huge one there's that active target there's live scope now the guys utilizing that and and i i do have it i do um it's one of them things where if, if, if you're going to fight it, you are falling behind and it's not cheap. It's not. No, and, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I did for a couple of years, you know, with the live scope, I have an active target from Lawrence, um, but probably two years, some of them guys are running live scope and 
it was amazing. They would show me what they're seeing and, and I just couldn't believe it. You know, it's like, Oh, no wonder why. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, that you, you, you really need to have a, a good selection. And again, it doesn't mean you have to have the top end. Every combo doesn't have to be a $500 combo. That's not practical. You, and, and, and I would you know, encourage you not to do that. Um, sponsorships, you brought up sponsorships, you know, where I'm at now, I am so grateful for all my sponsors. It does not start that way. It, 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 there's a long working and it doesn't even matter. You can come out of the gates and win your first tournament. That that's not, that's a great start. That's not how you get sponsors though. No, it you're is, still a number. You're still a number. Correct. At that point. correct. There are guys are. and gals winning tournaments every weekend. <laughs> exactly. Just because you come out and you win your first big tournament. Guess what? Sorry. The reality is come Monday, you're kind of forgotten about in the industry. It's the truth. It is. If you weren't already a name, you, you are. And, you know, sponsorship is, is, is the way you present yourself though, when you're at it and you have uh, the guys at the higher levels, you know, are seeing you doing successful helps get eyes on you at that. But it's those guys that are already in with companies that are in that say, Hey, you know, you might want to look, look at this guy, you know, he's, he's performing very well. And, you know, he, he, his, his demeanor is the way he carries himself at the events is someone that you, you know, would probably want representing your company. Um, and the honest truth is also a lot of it's, you know, the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It, it plays a role in everything. It plays a role in life. It's, you know, it's one saying that I live by just because it is the honest truth. You know, once you get out of high school and college and you actually get into what we call the real world you find that out pretty quick. You know, you, if you know the right people, you get certain things in life as you progress. When you don't, you get left behind. It, it is the truth. And I think I, I work on the marketing side of things. I do not make any part of my living in the outdoors, but I, I work in marketing and, and I understand we work with people in our industry where I work to help represent our products and our brand. And I get a little bit of how that works. And I think the thing that so many people miss, and I want you to correct me from the other side of things if I'm wrong about this, it's not, I mean, I think you hit it on the head by saying it's not just about winning tournaments, but the, the reason the way you carry yourself is so crucial is that there are a lot of people a brand could sponsor. I mean, just looking at some of the brands that sponsor you, Yamaha, for instance, there are a lot of directions they could go. There are a lot of people breaking down their door, trying to get a foot in to say, hey, I'm the next best thing. I'm a great representation of your brand. But I think the thing that's so often missed on the angler side of things is that you actually have to be the one who makes it make sense for them. Because they can pick pretty much whoever they want. If someone's serious about fishing and just using Yamaha as an example, if they knocked on someone's door and said, hey, we want you to help represent our products, to help represent our line, to help represent what we do in the outdoors, most people are not going to turn them down. The fact of the matter is they're trying to be strategic about who they partner with and why. And I think a lot of people forget that it really falls on the angler to make that make sense for the brand. It's not just, uh, you know, how you carry yourself or what you say uh, at, at the events, at, at tournaments, uh, you call it boat shows and all that. It is, you know, once you partake in this higher level, it, it's your life. It is, you know, I, I'm going to use a really, this, this <laughs> a vile, you know, example here, but like, I can't be going out and getting in an altercation with anyone because it has nothing to do with fishing, but that's my brand. That's, that would be me. You know, it is all the time and you always have to remember that. And that is an important thing. You know, I see a lot of these guys just trying to get their, their, their foot in the door and it's, you know, they're great 
you know, at the meeting during the, the weigh in and all that, but then you see them afterwards and it's kind of like, you're like, yeah, you know, there's your, your, your fans are around still. They see you, you, you know, you, you have to always be carrying yourself at the highest level when you represent these companies, that is what they're looking for. And, you know, there, it's little things like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to a tournament anytime soon right now till the next one, uh, the event, uh, the event five out in Lake McConaughey. Um, you know, I carry stuff in my truck all the time for the kids, J- gas stations, but, you know, if I see kids that, you know, I'll ask, Hey, you guys want a hat? I got some hats here. You know, you want a That's hat, awesome. you want a bobber. I've, you know, I've got stuff that always, and, and those little gestures like that, it's, it's not, it's not moving the needle for Yamaha, you know, we're using them as an example. Yep. Yep. But, but it's, you're engaging the youth and which is very important in our industry because without the youth, we don't have, we don't have growth. We don't have a future. And the great thing with the fishing industry and even the outdoors industry for that, our youth are just totally eating it up right now. You know, we got, I'm so jealous about the high school fishing teams, the college fishing. You know, when I went through school, I didn't have them. And now, and it's great to watch, but I am, I'm jealous when I see it. Cause I'm like, man, how cool would that have been? You know, I got to fish on a fishing team in high school it, and, and, and that's a very competitive level too. You know, there's yes. a lot at stake for them kids. That is a great stepping stone for them. But yeah, yeah, with the with the sponsorship stuff, uh, you have to always, always carry yourself at the highest level. And that's something you can't fake. You know, it's you it's you have to be genuine. Yeah. And that has to be you. I mean, that's a big thing. You it's you're not being a used car salesman. You know, I, I say that a lot. Be genuine. And there's certain things, be honest. I I will never, I always say, you know, I will never represent a product that I truly don't believe in. Um, you can't fake through that stuff. You look, it looks no. fake. Um, the other thing is I do live by hundred percent honesty. And, you know, when someone asks me a question, if the needle goes to the competing brand, I'll be honest and tell them that. Now there's probably a lot of pros besides that one question that I'll also let them know about Yamaha, why I run them, why I trust them, believe in them. But, you know, the one top end speed, I'll say over here, you know, I always say Yamaha is not going to be your fastest motor, but I guarantee you it gets you back to the dock, to the landing every time. Fuel efficiency, there aren't any that compare to it. It's the best in the industry. You know, there's certain pros, you know, there's a lot of guys that just want speed and I'll flat out tell them, well, probably putting a Yamaha on the back of your boat's not the right answer. If sure. you got the money to pay for the fuel, you know, the maintenance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. Then, you know, go, you can go two to three miles an hour faster than me. I'll let you all day. I want to know when I turn that key, it's going to fire and I'm getting back to my trailer every time. For sure. It's, and that's, but also that goes back to your point about being genuine. That's why it's important that you partner with brands that really truly accentuate how you want to, in your case, fish and how you handle yourself. Because the fact of the matter is, if you were representing a brand that doesn't meet the standards of how you want to fish and how you want to operate your boat, well, then you can't have those honest discussions because you're not living it. And I think that's why it's important. You, you know, why the brand means what it means to you because you're being authentic about it. And it's, it's just you telling the honest truth it's not you having to figure out what the sales pitch is as you said before you're not being a used car salesman in theory you should just be you should be utilizing what you already believe in to just be a voice for a brand that means a lot to you yes speak from experience i exactly you know use the product that's why i was saying like if it's truly a product i don't use and believe in there's no way and it's no offense like there's you know i'm not knocking a company or anything it's just how am i supposed to represent you at the level you would want to when 
again, I have to turn to a used car salesman. Right. So yeah, speak the truth, speak from your experiences. And, and that's what I've learned. And actually, I, you know, most people want to hear that. They don't want to hear you read through a spec sheet on the Yamaha motor, you know, that's in one ear out the other. Yep. When you can sure. tell them, you, you know, actual experiences on the water, why this, that, when you made a 120 mile run one way, you know, what fuel mileage you got and you can give real data. That's what they want to hear. They don't want to read the spec sheet. They've already read it and they've thrown right. it out, you know, by the time they talk to you. It is. That's that's what it is. I mean, it's important stuff. But when someone's deciding between, you know, a Yamaha or brand B, the spec sheet is kind of gone at that point. They want to hear some real life data, you know, on the back of this boat. What does it do? What kind of fuel miles do I expect? You know, how's it perform in big water? And the way to validate that is given true examples. Speaking of your knowledge, I want to I want to get into your fishing specific knowledge, your walleye knowledge to be more specific. And a couple of things I want to talk about to just let's talk. Let's take it a step back and talk to the average walleye angler here for a second. You know, someone who's much more like me than like you. You surely have experience with people like that who ask you questions or who you have the chance to observe fishing or maybe that you even fish with. What are some of the most common mistakes you see the average walleye angler make? If you had to pick one or two, what comes up more often than not? So I guess the the number one for me is what I always say, fishing memories. That You know, they go out and they have a great day. And then they keep going to that spot, doing the same exact thing over and over. And can't believe it, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't catch any. I can't believe I didn't catch any. And then it happens again. Then they have another good day. And they just never expand. You know, I always try to encourage, especially on our local waters, local anglers here. I'm like, when you go have a good day like that, next time you go out, do not even go near it. Go learn. There's fish everywhere. You know, they're, that's not the only spot they are. Go learn where they're at, why they're there. And, you know, to me, part of the fun and... Oh, Mississippi River, we'll bring it up again. I think out of our three practice days we're allowed, I believe I had two of them that I did not catch a scoreable fish. And since we're only allowed three uh, practice days, we fish from sunup to sundown. They are long days. To go all day and not see a two-pound walleye on pool two of the Mississippi River? Yeah. (laughs) That's tough. But at the same time, you know, eliminating water and that's how you learn you know obviously what i'm doing isn't working so we gotta keep switching it up and keep learning and finally you 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 know you you start to see a pattern if you don't leave what you know you'll never expand on your pattern and that's okay i want to follow up with you because i did my homework on you and you mentioned in your h2h fishing profile that your weakness as an angler you felt is not moving on to plan b c or d sooner and i think the trap that you just talked about is one that i fall in that apparently you have fallen in sometimes so how do you i when i had andy and matt on the show i talked about one of the things that impressed me most watching the pws anglers and something i learned in the first few events was hearing guys and gals talk about pace. I'm not on my pace. I should know after pre-fishing this, I should roughly be getting this many scoreable fish in about an hour. And if I don't, I probably have to move. But the tricky part of that is depending where you are, that formula is different when you're in the head-to-head format. 
you maybe have a little runway there depending on how things are going, but how do you use things like pace or things like knowledge or tactics that you really believe in to help get you out of that slump of, Hey, I had a good day here on day one. And I think I left a few in there for day two, but really yeah. it might benefit me more to move to, you know, a different spot. I found what is the calculus there? Cause there's a hundred things you could think of, but I think the key to what you said is, you got to pick something at some point instead of going back to the same well and hoping it produces day over day. It's a five-day tournament. There's nothing like that in the Wally industry right now. And you nailed it on the head. Like You will not win a tournament, especially win, but be very competitive fishing the same spot five days in a row. There's no bites that hold that long, especially if you're <laughs> going to go out there for five hours a day and and start pound, you know, pounding every day. Um, but when you had your calculus – that's exactly there's so much math in this there is you you have to you know because you're 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 figuring out your your normal tournament you're looking for five bites it's all you need five bites you want the biggest bites that's not the case here so what you need to figure out is hey i'm catching two to three pounders over here but i'm getting them at a good clip i can do you know let's just call it five to ten in an hour but over here i'm getting you know six and sevens but i'm only doing two an hour but they're good ones you know, and that's a math game. You seriously have to sit and figure out and where are you going to have the highest weight after that five hours? So there is a lot of math. Uh, I've never weighed so many fish in my life pre-fishing, you know, because <laughs> again, it's a math game. You have to have the real data. You can't just go, ah, I think it's a three because was it a three? Because that's important. Because if it wasn't a three, well, now your math calculation comes Sunday night when you figure out where you're going to go is off because you're calling it a three and it's actually a two and a quarter. Or, you know, or it's bigger. So, yeah, I I mean, I every fish that's going to be over two pounds, I put on a scale in my boat during pre-fishing to start getting data for that calculation come Sunday night to figure out how I'm going to fish this thing. Um, and you mentioned about leaving areas. I did that on Mille Lacs, the event I won, uh, day two. You know, day one, it's it's foot on the gas. There's no letting up. You know, it's a it's a two day to make the cut. You do not let up on day one. In my opinion, I'm speaking for myself. Sure, I will sure. Go, go, go. I will get as much weight as possible on day one. Day two uh, for this event, I'm going to use it as, as an example in Mille Lacs. Um, I went out in third place. Joel Cotta had a very big day, day one. I was not planning on catching him to come in as the one seed, but it was tight. I had to make sure I stayed in the top eight. And that was my goal. Number one, let's, let's make the top eight. Let's get in the bracket and then let's figure it out from there. But as the day progressed, I was having a good day. I was really watching the leaderboard and I ended up jumping into second place and I was comfortably in. And I think with about an hour and a half to go, I pulled the plug on my program. I shouldn't say my program on the spots I was fishing. I went looking and that's, that's a value that everyone in the that makes the bracket, especially them guys in the seven A spot that are fighting to get in, they don't get that. So basically, with our restricted pre-fish and you know we have thirty days off limits beforehand of knowledge of seeing the water, to have an extra hour and a half after you've already started putting puzzle pieces together is so valuable. And I did. I mean, I I expanded on my program and I used stuff that I found in that hour and a half or that I went and looked at. I use that the next three days because like we were saying earlier, you can't fish like two rock humps for five days in a row and catch 40 pounds every day and win an event. But you got to be willing to make the thing is, though, 
it worked for you. And after you had started putting the puzzle pieces together, you used that hour and a half to gain incredible info yes. that helped you ultimately win. But you had the key is going back to the start of, of, of your strategy here. You have to be willing to give yourself that time. And, and possibly if you're not as in comfy of a spot on day two in that top eight to make the cut, if you're closer to seven or eight, the, the math changes because it's more like, Hey man, I have to get to the next day. But if you're kind of more in that upper column and that's what, what I was going to ask is like, you can take some risks if you're closer to one, two or three than you are to six, seven or eight. Well, now you can take some risks and learn some stuff if you're willing to do that. But for you, other than security, when you're fishing an H2H event in the first two days, just to remind everyone, you're looking for the top eight anglers, cumulative score of scoreable fish. Other than the security of knowing that you're going to get through, does the seed make a difference to you other than, like, if you know you're in, is there a huge difference to you between being the three or the seven? Um, Or is it more just about making it to that head-to-head format at that point? I mean, first off, it's making it. It's flat out, be in the top eight. When you're in a spot like I was at Mille Lacs, I will be honest, I did not respect the seed as much as I do now until that event. And what I mean by that is watching how that unfolded. um, And I, you know, to win that event, I I say, I I went through the gauntlet, you know, three great anglers. (laughs) I mean, they're probably the hottest anglers out here right now, potentially. Yeah, I would argue they are. Yeah. I, I had Isaac Latchik, my first matchup. Then I go right to Max Wilson. And for the championship one, the guy that's putting up 100 pounds a day, Joel kind of, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that was not an easy task. But back to no. what I was saying about the, about the seating, my brother, Robert Blosser, he had to, he was a, the, the three seed. And I was not, like, when I pulled, I said I pulled off with an hour and a half to go. I wasn't worried if I was the two three, the four, the five. I just knew I wasn't getting out. I went looking. And you did say that's a gamble, which it is a huge gamble with your seating. I luckily stayed in that two spot. And where I'm getting at is the second day of the bracket. So day four, Robert was a three seed and had to go up against Joe. And I think, I mean, and Robert, he, I think it was like 65 pounds, 76 or something like that. They both absolutely caught the snot out of them. But he faced the juggernaut in that event where I had a good day. I was right around 40 pounds. I, I kind of stayed right in that 40 pound mark. That's where I was at. Um, and I advanced. I was had enough to beat Max. But if I would have slid and I had to face Joe, I would have never been in the championship. And, you know, the, my advantage was the one day we had win was day five, the championship. Joe was fishing a totally different bite. Um, I knew my bite. Wind didn't matter. Wind was probably going to help it. And I didn't have a clue what he was doing at the time. And I said it in my pre-interview. I said, you know, we'll see what happens. We're going to go fish hard. The wind's blowing. It may affect what Joe's doing. And apparently it did by 15 ounces if it affected it enough. Well, and especially in that last hour, which is something I specifically wanted to talk to you about, is that, I mean, not that you weren't having a solid day, but as you mentioned, you ran up against a juggernaut and a guy who was catching fish all weekend continued yeah. to catch fish on the final day when you were head to head with them in the bracket that last hour, hour and a half or so for you. I mean, I feel like in some ways to, to have that kind of success on that kind of, with those sort of stakes, a lot of people dream about that kind of thing. Um, at what point, what point did you start thinking? Like, did you think you were out of it? I mean, I think at one point you were down what almost twenty pounds, maybe a little more. Yep. I think I, it was if I remember that correctly, change. yep, yep. 
was there a point where it's like, you know, I'm going to keep fishing this, but I don't know, man, where you kind of have to have that talk with yourself that like, this isn't great. Or were you still optimistic as the clock ticked down at the time? Did you feel you still had a fighting chance if you could get into the kind of fish you felt were there? So, yeah. And I, I was, I, I'm always confident. I never gave up. I still thought I had a chance to win. We're fishing. I knew what could happen. And that last hour, that last hour, hour and a half, I did that the previous two days as well. And I did it all on this one spot. And I've talked about it before. I said, it was something about it. Like I, it was so good. I was afraid to go to it in the morning and start. And I didn't, I didn't touch it till that last hour, hour and a half. And because it, it worked, it was there. I could count on it. And I, it was, it was a longer run. I always, I pick up, make, Malax isn't that big, so it was like a 15-minute run, but it was away from the core stuff I was fishing. And when I pulled in there, I caught one on my first cast. And I believe I turned to the camera and said, here I come, Joe. And I said at that point, when I was down 21 pounds or whatever it was with an hour left, I said, I guarantee you I was the only person that actually thought I had a chance to win this thing, but I truly did. And then as I'd catch another one. And another one. And then, you know, my marshal would give me an update and his, his didn't change as I'm gaining, gaining. And now next thing you know, you know, I just kept fishing hard, fishing hard. And now the next one, they're like, you know, you're two pounds, something behind them. Still didn't click, miss fishing. I caught that one that ended up going, put me over. And that was the first time. And I, I have went back and watched it that I feel like I kind of <laughs> showed a little emotion because I, I got back on my back deck. If you were watching, I was casting off the back deck. Um, as soon as that fish got released, I got up there and kind of put my arm straight down and just took a deep, big breath. It was kind of like, whew, you know, like now, and I think we had like eight minutes to go at that point. And right after I did that, I actually caught another fish right then. It weighed one pound, 15 ounces, oh. one ounce short of registering. And I believe i said i was thinking if i didn't say it out loud i'm like that that fish i just lost i just lost because i i was certain joe was going to catch a two pounder at the end and even when that match ended um you know they were all like yeah yeah." and i'm like yeah hang on you know like i'm not i was slowly kind of getting my boat ready because i'm like he could have caught one right at the end you know that technology is awesome but it's it takes a second to transfer yep absolutely and uh the marshals got a call from uh, the tournament director saying it's official. And that was kind of when it all all hit, like, holy cow, I just did that. <laughs> How do you, when that's happening, it's very easy for someone like me to watch that and say, someone who fishes at your level, that it's like, well, he found the fish and he knows the technique that's working. And you know what, like, this is his homework paying off and that it seems so easy when it goes right, you know? But there's still work to be done. Even when you caught that first fish in that spot and you knew that you were on them, there's still a certain level of control that the emotions need while riding that roller coaster, because you still have to work baits correctly just because they're there. They're not jumping in the boat. It seems like they're jumping in the boat from my end. It feels like they're jumping in the boat, but you still have to present correctly. You still have to be on your spots. If they shift slightly, you have to still be right on top of them. You cannot just take for granted that you're going to clean up in that spot and win. How do you balance the natural, very understandable excitement of making the kind of rally you did in the last hour of that event with knowing there's still so much business to be taken care of and so many little things that have to be done right to make that comeback happen? What does that balance look like? 
Yeah. And like you said, and there's there's little things that even watching you probably don't pick up on, you know, that spot. It wasn't like I was spot locked on a spot that was about a hundred by 80 yard reef. I was fishing and I fished the whole thing in that hour, but it was knowing where I needed to be. And you even see at the end there that because of the wind, you know, I, I quick put it on um, my trolling motor on 10 and I'm making little subtle adjustments because I need to get over a little bit. You know, I, my drift was off. I got to get back over here. You know, and again, that was, that did come from doing my homework on when the wind blew, where these fish set up. You know, I didn't have time to fish 100 by 80. I was right. on the right, <laughs> right side of the reef. I knew where these fish should be. Now that changes, you know, that's that goes back to when do you pull the plug on plan A and go to B, C, D when you're confident in something. But I was very confident in it. And and they were there. They showed themselves right away, which that's that's huge for your confidence when you expect it and it happens. Now you can kind of just put your nose down and just make it happen. You know, every cast, like you said, you have to pay attention when the wind was blowing. Actually, you know, that bite. So, again, if you go back and watch what I was doing, I was bomb casting. I mean, I one hand back as hard as I could. I had to get them away from the boat. That's how I was catching the fish. Get that as far away. A lot of times they'd hit it on that initial drop. And when you have that much line out, you barely, it feels like someone flipped right. your line. And these are, you know, we're talking four to six pound walleyes. So I'm not catching little peanuts. It's just a little tick. And you have to be right there. And with that wind blowing, now you get, you know, you get a loop in your line, stuff like that. And that's stuff you got to be conscious of that you, you don't do that. Don't, you know, that's why I was making little adjustments with my boat. So I what because I wasn't casting off corner. So because I had to be tight, I had to be tight with it to feel them. Um, at one point, I even tucked in my shirt. I usually don't have my my shirt tucked in when I'm out there. I had to tuck it in because the wind was blowing, and my shirt every once in a while would tick the back of my rod, oh, and that's geez. all you'd feel. So as yep. I'm sitting there holding, all of a sudden, tick, and it was like, and I finally realized my shirt would flap and hit it. So I had to quick tuck in my shirt. That way, I wasn't feeling that. I the sensitivity. It was tough. Like you said, you have to be concentrated and you never know when they're going to bite. So if you take a, you know, that moment and think about what's going on and your comeback that's happening, that's you're, you're going to miss the winning fish. Then, Yeah, it's it. I mean, it's an incredible amount of focus. And I, I think even from talking to you in, in this short time. I, I, I'm learning how much you appreciate the mental side of fishing because it is so much mental when you come to a new spot. And I think this is something most of us can relate to because hopefully, in my opinion, if you're having the most enjoyable fishing experiences you can have in this life, you are fishing new spots at least sometimes because that's a lot of the fun. How do you mentioned you're more of a lake guy than a river guy, but regardless of, of what kind of setup you're in, how do you, where do you start? with a new body of water, because I think it's something I can stand to learn from. And I think, especially from someone like you, and I think um, my listeners could, could learn a ton from you on, okay, you're at a brand new spot. You're all excited to go fishing boats in the water. Now what, where do you start when you're, when you're assessing something that's new to you? The biggest thing is understanding the time of the year, understanding what, what a fish and I'll, I'll wait, when we're talking walleyes, I'll use walleyes, what they're doing at that time. You know, and and getting out there, and it's all. Yeah, people ask me like, how do you how do you break down these bodies of water? What do you do? And the number one thing, and it doesn't help out many people besides wanting to get out. It's experience, and it's taking from all different bodies of water that you've seen or different times you've been out, and you put it all together. It's constantly learning. You know, I'll see something on a lake or a river that I've never tried. I call it up my home body of water, Lake Wisconsin. 
you come back and you go, no kidding. <laughs> it works here too. You know, there's <laughs> little things like that, that, you know, you, you just always remember. And that goes back to what I said, don't get stuck into fishing only memories. And like you said, try new spots. You know, your gamble's not going to pay off. Honestly, probably 10% of the time, you're probably going to be successful. If you actually go challenge yourself on new, you know, Hey, I usually fish the the bottom of the break. I'm going to slide all the way up and get on the flat and see. I guarantee you, if you fish a break line long enough, you're going to catch fish. When you slide up top once in a while, you're going to be surprised because there's giant females laying up there generally. You're not going to catch a bunch, but that's where they'll be at. And, you know, little things like that, it, it just just differ what you do. Um, you know, as far as looking at a map right away, Break lines. Uh, I, that's what I look at right away. If I'm studying a map, I am looking at break lines. I'm looking for shallow water adjacent to deep water. You know, basically your typical stuff. On the water, now the search changes to bottom transitions. Um, then structure. Is it rock? or do, Can I find rock? Weeds. Um, y- you know, mud to sand to, to, to gravel. Um that's when you need to know how to use your electronics. And, you know, that first day, again, in the PWS, we are allowed three days of pre-fish. That first day, I don't wet a line a ton. I do a lot of looking with okay. my graphs, with my eyes. And that's the other thing, the shoreline. You need look at the shoreline. The shoreline tells you what's under the water, you know, especially on rivers. It tells you what's under the water. So use it. Yep. Yeah, and, that's, that's a huge yeah, point yeah. that – Sometimes you get so busy watching TV on the boat that you're not using your eyes to look at what's sitting right around you. I think we all fall into that trap sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and your electronics are a great tool. Like you should be looking at them. You should be learning them. But at the same time, I, I forgot who I said this to. We were talking about like it would be fun to pull all the electronics for one event and you know go back to the old you know line yourself up with the the red roof and the hanging tree. And somewhere in here, you know, you know, that, that type of fishing, it, it was fun, but you know, electronics are fun too. There's, there's still a learning curve. It's not a gimme by any means. You know, there's, I hear, you know, it's almost cheating. It helps. It's a tool. That's all it is. You still have to go catch fish. You really do. And talking about catching fish, um, this, the, something I like about H to H it's made me, it's made me think differently about my own fishing, whether I'm pursuing bass or I'm pursuing walleyes is the, the artificial only, um, artificial baits only. And, you know, I grew up, my dad, and it's part of it. It's what he knows. And it's what he taught me, you know, it's night crawler harnesses. And we, we had a lot of luck with that. You know, it's a very basic thing, elementary thing, but you know what? It works. And, and you know what? I'll be darned. It still works today. If you want to go in certain spots in certain situations, we can still go get a nice meal of walleyes doing something extremely simple with live bait. However, there are so many tactics. I can't tell you how many tactics HGH has exposed me to just this year with the Pro Walleye Series. How do you, I mean, obviously when you're fishing in the series, you got to abide by the rules of the artificial bait. But when you're fishing on your own, do you ever find yourself using live bait? Or do you feel that what you've learned and all the time you've put into free fishing or um, pre-fishing and tournament fishing with HGH, it's like, you know, I have so many tactics at my disposal with artificials. It's almost like, why do anything else? Where do you fall? I have always hated live bait. So I am, and and no, I just, you know, I'm going to use Minnesota, for instance, chubs. They work phenomenal. You look at the things and they die. They're so hard to take care of. 
You know, I hate taking care of bait. I hate when <laughs> crawlers explode in my cooler. And then, and I, I use it. You know, I'm not saying anything. Yeah, I have used it. I do. But I always say, you know, like, and I'm going to use Green Bay as an example. When there's a good trolling bite going on, um, crawler harnesses are tough to beat. I will beat it till it's dead a crankbait. I always say if there's a crankbait bite, I am going to find it. I am going to find it and use it. And if there's not, it's like, well, I guess we're going to get the meat out, you know, <laughs> like it's right, almost right. like I'm reluctant to do it. And it's, it's just the way I like to fish, you know, sure. the one big thing in that, you know, I, I, I prefer to power fish, so to say, you know, I can, I can cover more water with crankbaits. I, it's hard for me to sit there at 0.8 to one, two pulling carl hmm. hunters and they work phenomenal. They do. I mean, it is, it's simple fishing, but it's really, really effective fishing for walleyes. Um, but yeah, no, I will look for, you know, that M- Malax bite. I actually found when I was there for the aim, uh, the, the national, uh, championship, the shootout, when I qualified for that, I took second and, that was a huge chub bite. And I got asked in the morning, morning interview or something. They're like, you got your chubs? And I said, nope, I don't have any live bait on the boat. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I found an artificial bite up there. And then when I heard we were going there, I'm like, eh, we'll see if it uh, you know, carries over. It was only one sure. time I tried it. And sure enough, it was similar. It wasn't the same, obviously. You know how that goes. You're like, you can't go back to the same stuff, the same bait, all that stuff. But it was similar. It still had me pointed in the right direction because of what I've seen. And yeah, it obviously worked. You mentioned that your least favorite body of water to fish is Lake Winnebago. And I, I would like to ask you why. I'm curious because as someone who, I, I mean, I live half an hour from it and I've fished it a lot. Um, I have my reasons why I feel that might be your answer, but I'd rather have you tell me and then maybe we can compare notes. Why does that one rank on the bottom of the list for you? A place that HJH did go last year. Yep. Um, but um, why does it rank there? What, what's the rationale behind that thinking there? Yeah, I haven't been to Winnebago, I think in two years now. And what it was, it, it was more of a respect thing. Lake Winnebago can humble someone very fast. Yes. That's why I say it's my, least favorite. Um, I always thought Lake Winnebago being a local is one of the bodies of water that true local knowledge carries a ton of weight. There's so many little variables in that lake, wind directions, you know, when, when the Fox river backs up, when it's ripping, when there's a lot of little things and it doesn't just change that area. It changes the entire body of water. You know, you can be on the north end fishing something, but if the current in the Fox River gets backed up or or up in uh, um, Fox up in Nina coming out of uh, Little Butamore, um, it changes everything. And it can happen within two hours out there. So, no, that's it's it's a respect thing. It's it's a great fishery. Yep. I, I do love fishing and I've had success on it. it. It's just that you think you got them and then you get out there and man, does it humble a guy pretty quick. Well, especially if you're looking for size. I mean, that's you're yeah. you're not going to accidentally run it. I mean, there are big ones in there. Don't get me wrong, but you're not going to accidentally run into a big one, even if you're running a program that's at least getting you, you know, a few fish to take home. You really, really got to be dialed into what's happening if you want to take a big one or two out of there on a given morning or a given yeah. evening because it's not easy. Absolutely, it, it's a tough fishery, and the you know the guys that can consistently do well there, I always tip my hat to them because I'm like that's. I know how hard it is to repeat a day on Winnebago. 
it's so, you know, you, you go out and have one good day and you think, okay, you know, we got them. We're going to go out and do it again. And I actually love watching the tournament results of multi-day tournaments on bagel because it, the field flips every time it always does. You know, it's one of them spots where guarantee the field will flip and uh, it, it makes it fun. Again, it's just, you know, it's one of them. If we ever go back there, it might be one where even if I crush them in one spot, I may just force myself to go somewhere different and don't even go look at it. Cause you know, yeah. I know it's probably not going to be the same. Um, I, I wanted to, I didn't mention this in our rundown when we chatted yesterday, but I wanted to make sure that we touched on this cause you brought it up a couple of times and I think it'd be irresponsible to not ask you about it. Getting to fish something like this, you know, when Andy Cleveland and Matt Trotz were on the show and they talked through what the selection process was like to get, to be one of the 32 anglers selected to be in the pro walleye series for this year and how they had to shut down the applications because they honestly, so many came in. They said that a, they felt bad saying no to the number of people that they already had to say no to, and they didn't want to make more. And they knew how hard the decision was going to be regardless. Once the applications are really flying in the fact that you get to fish at this level and you get to do it with your brother. How cool is that? Like, how, I mean, that, a lot of people would dream about being able to do that. And now for X amount of times this year, you get to do that on the highest stage of walleye fishing in our area. And I would argue in most of, in most of the U S there's nothing like this. You guys get to share that experience. What is that like? Yeah. I mean, to kind of touch on your, the first part of the question being selected, uh, when I got notified, you know, I, I was, obviously I applied. I was, I, 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 thought I could, you know, had what it took to compete. I wanted to, I believed in what they were doing. I loved the idea of the format. Um, and when, yeah, when I was notified that I was one of the ones selected, I was pretty happy. And then at the same time, it was kind of like, whoa, like I knew this was going to be a big thing. You know, I, Brian Keller does not do anything, you know, half done. And with him behind this, this kind of being his idea that his baby I was very excited to be a part of it from day one and still am. And this thing's only going to grow more the head to head in the PWS. Um, the second part of your question about fishing with my brother. Yeah. Like you said, dream of that and to be able to share it and share each other's success. And, you know, that comes back to even that Mille Lacs tournament. He came, he picked up fishing. Now he, he did have his, his round handily won at the time, but the last 20 minutes or so, he came and started looking for me and found me when he saw me racing up the board. And he sat there for the last 10 minutes, spot locked and watched. So he got to see me catch what ended up being the winning fish. Um, I remember as I was, oh, geez. I mean, special doesn't even describe it because this is where I was going with it. I was cast out and I heard a boat coming and I had no one around me really. And I kind of glanced over my shoulder. And I saw it was him, but I didn't look hard enough. Like I, I knew it was him. You know, we are out there enough. I see his boat on the water. There's, I know it's him, but I wouldn't let myself look again because I needed to concentrate. And I knew yeah. what he yeah. did. I knew he wasn't coming to fish there. I, he wouldn't, you know, he's not doing that. So mentally, like at the time, I'm like, don't look like I can't think about that because it meant so much to me. It did. And then that way afterwards, and then he came over and we got to share a hug after it was official in my boat. That was a pretty cool, pretty special moment. That's awesome. I mean, that is 
I mean, and that not to get too philosophical about it, but to me, it's like that kind of thing. And I mean, not only your attitudes toward the outdoors and we just talked about the fishing part only, but like your, your attitude toward fishing and then hearing too, like your, what that means to your brother and what it clearly means to your family. It's like that. It's so cool to me to see and hear about moments like that, because that transcend that transcends fishing. That's more just about life in general and being able to be fortunate enough to have, to have someone who, ca- who cares as much as they do as your brother did in that moment to who understands the rigor of what you guys go through because he's right there fishing the same tournaments you do. Yep. And then to have that kind of a gesture at a moment that was so pivotal for you this year, like to me, it's like, it, that's just so awesome to hear a story like that because it's like, man, that's just what life's about, you know? Yeah. And you nailed it. It's like, you know, I, I believe I told Andy this, I'm like the way I won that event, I don't even know if anyone could have scripted it better. I, I don't. What, what would you? What was missing? You know, right? <laughs> right. It, really, what was? You know, you got your and and none of it was scripted. You know, it all happened. You know, my brother pulls up to go find me, and he didn't have a clue where I was at. He literally went driving around the lake to try to find me. Finally, found me. And that's uh, movie stuff, yeah. man. That's movie yeah. stuff. Yeah, to, to win in the last minute, big comeback. Barely. I mean. Everything was there, and and it is truly special. And even to dub off that a little bit more, um, I got home on is it Saturday? Yeah, I I whenever I got home from the event, I think it was Saturday or so Sunday. Um, my my dad and my twin brother they were the ones behind it organizing it, and I didn't know what was happening, but there was a big surprise congratulation party that was being thrown for me and I had no idea awesome. and my wife uh <laughs> she, she got me there the, the stuff she was saying you know like it just didn't make sense like I'm like what are we, are we doing this you know but it was like one of them like oh okay yeah all right yeah and you know we went to this restaurant and you know she's like oh we have to pick something up from your parents they're there and I'm like this this doesn't you know okay fine I pull up and, you know, I even, this is how much I truly, I pulled up right in front of the door. I didn't even park in a parking spot because I'm like, okay, I'm going to run in, get, you know, it was, she was kept saying it was for Father's Day. So she's like, your mom's got a bag, don't look in it. But, you know, so I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to run in, get it. We'll go on. And I pull up there. She's like, well, why didn't you park? I said, I'm just running in. I'll be right back out. And so my, my vehicle's right in front of their front door. Um, and then, then she pulls my daughter. Yeah, you know, she's like, "Well, your mom wanted you to bring Cameron in. She wanted to. She wants to see Cameron." I'm like, "Right now? What? Fine. <laughs> All right. Let's get the little one. She's two and a half years old. So, okay, get her out of the car seat." And and uh, I thought it was weird when my wife reached in and shut the vehicle off because I still had it running. <laughs> and yeah, I went through the door. Little, maybe a little agitated because now I'm like, "What is going on here?" And then there's all the friends, family. Oh, it was, yeah, I had no idea. And, you know, I walked through there and everyone starts cheering. And it's pretty cool when you come back and I'm from a small town and, you know, a lot of the towns there and, you know, supporting you and supporting what you do. It means a lot. That's awesome. That's incredible. And I mean, that, that's just, I mean, I imagine that that's an incredibly emotional thing for you, but I also feel it's important for the average person to understand that, there is so much to be as good as you are at this and to do it day in and day out and the amount of work it requires and the effort and the money and the time and the dedication and the bad days. And there are plenty of those too. Um, it's an emotional thing when you are as connected to fishing as you are. And I guess 
as awesome as it is to hear you tell stories about being able to really reap the benefits of the really good times, how do you try to balance keeping that fire burning? Because I think what a lot of people find when they, they take something they love and they try to make kind of a career out of it, which is essentially what you're doing, that sometimes the fun kind of goes away, even when there are the really good days. And how do you keep the fun in it and keep the excitement in it? Because you hear the stories you just told, who couldn't love that? Who wouldn't love that? Who wouldn't think that fishing is the best thing on earth? But I guarantee you, if you are like any fisherman or angler or fisherwoman I've ever talked to, you've had some really crap days too. And you have to learn to overcome those, you know, days where you just, I mean, even Andy talked about, and he's on the show, there are days where he just wants to sell all of it and just be done with it because it's just really frustrating. How do you balance those emotions to keep all the good stuff that keeps your fire going, to keep your drive going, to keep you being as sharp as you need to be to win, but not to get so down that it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm burned out of this, man. I can't keep doing it. The big thing is being realistic. Uh, you know, I set high goals for myself. I do. Do I, I want to win every event. That is the goal. At our level, that is almost impossible to do. Yes. You know, <laughs> and, and and like you said, keeping it fun. That what I've always said, when this isn't fun, I'm done. I'm done. If I don't have fun doing this, and now at the same time, you know, I have people say, oh, it's like a vacation. You're going fishing again. And I always say, come fish a day with me. And I, I don't think you'll like it. You know, they don't realize sun up to sun down is a long time on the body, on a body of water fishing. And, you know, we don't sit down and get the picnic out and, you know, it's go, go, go constantly go this spot fishing, fishing, looking, graphing. And, you know, Malax, it was 95. I think our heat indexes were like 105 up there doing that out in the sun. You have to take care of yourself, drinking plenty of water, staying hydrated. Um, you know, the, the other big one is we don't get to pick when we go out, you know, if it's now you say you have to be safe, uh, but yes, you know, if it's a downpour and there's no thunder or lightning, we're out getting soaked. You know, if it's 105 out, we're out, we're being safe. We're keeping hydrated, but we're out, you know, I've fished where I had six inches of snow on the boat before pre-fishing for a tournament. Oh, it's what, oh, it was, yeah, it was seven, seven degrees out. I had, I got pictures up where we were throwing snowballs. We were actually trolling. We were throwing (laughs) snowballs at our planer boards off the boat, making them and throwing them out there. Yeah. This is entertainment, but uh, no, it's just always keeping a positive head to keep it going. Cause you are going to, you are going to get licked a couple times for sure. And uh, you know, like you said, the big thing is don't get down on yourself. And like I said, I think to start this off, learn from it. So instead of hanging your head low and kind of, you know, soaking and, feeling bad for yourself, keep your head up and and pay attention. Figure out what you missed. You missed something, clearly. Start to figure out what. What could you have done different? What should you have done different? You know, how how did this thing unfold? The nice part with the PWS is it's all filmed. It, you know, if you're not utilizing your resources, that's your own fault. Yeah, <laughs> I go back and watch it. You, you bet I do. You know, especially those that did well. I, I I'd like to see it. And you touch base on such little things and I'm not necessarily trying to pick out where they were fishing. Uh, you know, most of us, we know where we were fishing. Sure. That's not why they caught them. It was like you said before, it's their technique, their cadence, what they're doing, how they're positioned. That's all them fine details is what you're learning on. And you're like, well, he's doing like tiny little hops here. You know, when I was doing that, I was making bigger rips 
it's those little details is the difference between, you know, finishing the middle pack or competing to win a tournament. So, yeah, that's how I, I, I try to stay as positive I can, even on the rough ones. And again, it's a knowledge, 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 always trying to learn. Speaking of learning from it, have you ever pre-fished a tournament in your tournament fishing career? And at the end of pre-fishing, just been like, uh oh, <laughs> have you ever, I mean, I know that you have to have that positive mindset in those grind, especially the five day tournaments. But I mean, even the two days, if it's really, I mean, that can still be a grind too. Have you ever just gotten done pre-fishing and, and, and said to yourself, I am not entirely sure what's going on. I just know that I don't know what it is right now. Have you ever found yourself in that spot? <laughs> and if you have, what did you do? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's an awesome question. I've never been asked that before, so I love this question because <laughs> um, it is. It's the truth. Yes, there's been times where it's like, do I actually have to go out tomorrow morning? Like, <laughs> this is not going to be good. Um, no, you you do one of two things. If you think you kind of had something figured out, go fish it hard. You know, fish it hard. And the one thing I've learned over the years is probably ninety percent of the time. I've got a decent pulse, even if I don't believe it. And that was a big thing I had to overcome. Believe what I saw, you know, like believe that I am a pretty good fisherman. You know, I didn't, I may have missed the little nook or cranny, but I've got a good pulse on what the system's doing and uh, you know, and don't panic. So that, that's what I've, I've had those. And honestly, there was one where I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, all I could catch was, it was actually on Winnebago. Um, I could catch this tiny little fish. I didn't think I'd compete. Um, I took a sixth place out of a hundred doing it. And I, I, I would have done better if I actually just fished the fish I knew. So, and you know, the system, what I did was I, I was up in Winnicani, uh, um, catching little fish. I got five and my plan was to put five on the card and run to the river. Generally the Fox is your best chance to stick a big one, you know, just, Yep. Come across a big one, hoping for one big one and maybe compete. Long story short, once weigh-in came, I didn't you – know, I came in. I'm like, oh, we got a couple peanuts, you know, and I took sixth place. And I, I <laughs> there was better fish there. I know there was. I didn't fish them because I didn't think they were good enough, and they they were. So it's things like that. Like trust your trust your pre-fish. If you really don't have – you know, if, if, if I don't have a pulse, then go fish something different. It's another pre-fish day. And we've all had that, you know, you're talking right now, we're talking about the days where basically you go two, three days and don't catch a fish. That fourth day comes and then all suddenly all them little puzzle pieces that they weren't right. They're still pieces though. Now you finally got the masterpiece and, you know, you put something together, even if it's in the last two hours of tournament day, just keep trying because it'll, it'll be there. You know, you're eventually getting there as long as again, stay positive. Don't, don't pout, don't, but it's still fun to laugh about when you're like, yeah, that was a, a couple of rough days there. <laughs> it's always funnier after it's never funny during. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's easier <laughs> to laugh at it afterwards and say, yep, I sure got waxed on that one. <laughs> and it happens though. And that's, I think, and that's, that's part of why you're successful is that you, it, at the end of the day, you can be as good as you want to be. The fish can even be there in some cases you are still dealing with wild animals and things don't, we don't always control as anglers, how wild animals react to things. And that's, that's, it's why it's fun. It's why it's still sporting. It's why to your point earlier about equipment, it helps 
that equipment still doesn't catch fish for you. The electronics don't catch fish for you at the end of the day. It might increase your chances, but like until they invent a, a laser beam you can inject into the water that makes fish hungry, it's still not putting fish on the hook, not directly anyway. And it's that, but that's why it's like, that's why things like H exist because angler skill is still something that can be determined over long periods of time in fishing tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, kind of on that point, I know from a viewing standpoint, you know, like the Mille Lacs was a great one to watch. Yes, a lot it of was. fish it catches awesome. going. Personally, like I, and then maybe that's because I'm a competitor in it. Like when I go back, I like watching like Lake Wisconsin, the Mississippi River, the events we struggled in as a whole, because that is when you see, I mean, the absolute focus. Because when it is a one bite tournament, when one bite can put you into the, you know, win your bracket, get you into the bracket. The ultra focus of every angler to the last second. You know, look at Isaac. Isaac got into the grade eight with a seven pounder at the horn almost at Lake Wisconsin. Yes. He didn't catch a fish. You know, I mean, he, and then that's what happens. That's the stuff I like watching. And again, it's probably because I'm in it, you know, like we've all had those days where we catch a lot of fish. But the the tough bites to me are fun because that's when you truly see the bag of tools from these anglers because they are again ultra focused and they are trying everything they can to get one bite and they know it too this it's not a surprise to us when these happen you know it's not like we went out and go oh what happened today we knew going in it's going to be tough you know it's a very tough tournament so yeah it's you better not slip and like i said at the beginning i, I dropped two fish in the mississippi event that cost me cost me a bracket you, you just can't you can't lose focus you can't have mistakes and whether it was you know you know, and it happens. It does. Um, it does. But whether it was something I did, this it, it cost me the bracket. That's it, the reality. So every fish is that important in a uh, very, very, uh, very tough bite event. What I appreciate about the slow days on H to H, and part of it's because of the production of it. It makes it a lot more real for me because the thing is, we've all had. You mentioned we've all had days like that. Whether it's someone like me who just fishes for fun, someone like you who fishes competitively and fishes for fun, we've all been there. And sometimes you see these. I mean, and I don't mind watching. You know, watching major league fishing while it's on. You know, watching watching any tour that has something. You know, on TV and being able to watch like kind of more of a highlight package. It makes it look like everybody hammered fish the entire day but the fact of the matter is that's true sometimes it's not usually true even for pros even in bass fishing even in walleye fishing whatever it might be it makes it so much more relatable to me and as someone who's invested in the series and watching all of the anglers at every event as often as i can it makes the successful days even more fun because you feel like you've sort of in a small way you've been there on the slow days so then when you get to an event i thought i thought detroit was awesome I thought I thought Mill Axe was an awesome event. Um, when you guys, as a group, as a collective, just start hammering them, it's even more fun then because it's like, man, I I've been there for the one bite days on the Mississippi. I saw Winnebago last year, which was largely a one or a two bite day, and a lot of sheephead. Like I've seen that, and it's like you just learn to appreciate it so much more. And it also it just drives home that even even the professionals run into slow days and i think that's important for everyone to remember because sometimes it seems like man i bet it's just i'm out here struggling because i have no idea what i'm doing and maybe that's true but sometimes it's like you could put the best of the best out here and this is a tough day that happens yeah, yeah again it's it's a, it's humbling it's it's humbling to all of us and like you said it's it's reality like 
there are tough times. There are tough bites. And like you said, the best of the best can go out. They may not catch a fish either. That happens. That's fishing. Uh, you know, that's again, the staying positive with it. Don't, don't think you're always doing something wrong. Just keep trying to learn. And again, why well, I have appreciation of them tough bite events and especially from the viewer side. And I know it's not the popular uh, consensus, I guess I get that you want to watch fish being caught. And I like that too. It's fun. It's fun to see, you know, pe- anglers at the highest level struggling to get one bite that that to me is fun because like you said you watch all this other stuff and it looks like it's just you know fish in a barrel it's like ding 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 you know just whenever they want when you see guys literally sweating and fishing so hard to get one bite and then when they do especially in the head to head the pws format when you get to see it the emotion yeah you know that's when emotion pours out is because they realize how huge that one fish is. Yes, it weighed three pounds two ounces, which is a fantastic walleye. Yes, it is nothing special, but fantastic. Um, like Lake Wisconsin, that's that's like that's a golden ticket. You you got it. Yeah, you did it. And yeah, it, it's cool. You know, compared to like Malax, which I'm not saying isn't cool, but when you catch 15 fish for 40 pounds. You're going through a lot of fish in that stage, and and you're you become to expect to catch them. Yes, you know, and that's how it was for me. It was I expected to catch them when I would move to a different hump, reef, whatever else fishing. I expected to catch one. Lake Wisconsin, I hoped, <laughs> I hoped to catch one, and I fished really hard to catch one. Yeah, and that's that's the game, man. That's the game, and and I appreciate how honest you are about it. I appreciate that. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think that it's really awesome to see a fishing series that brings in so much realism to the picture, because I think that you talked earlier about growing the outdoors and growing interest in it among kids, among anyone of any age who maybe has just, maybe this is their first experience into watching competitive fishing and maybe they fish once in a while, but now this kind of lights that fire under them. You're painting a better, more realistic picture, in my opinion, doing it this way. And, and, you know, and having anglers like you who are willing to share their stories and insights from an honest perspective, which is that, you know, as much as you'd love to say you're walleye King, some days you are, and some days you aren't. And that's everybody. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here before I let you go. Um, What is the best piece of fishing advice you've ever received? And I know mm. I'm asking you to dig a little deep there, and this and yeah. this wasn't on the spot one. But if you had to pick something that comes to the top of your mind, what is it? And whether it's whether it refers to walleye specifically or not, um, it's not. It's not. I guess it's not. Uh, it's fishing advice. It's not like specifically like you know, you know, cast long or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, before each event, I always the night before I usually talk to my dad and he always says the same thing. And he says, go do you be safe. Basically don't worry about what's going on. You know, and he, he, he played at the high level he, on the bass side, he knows. And you know, it's, it's coming from your dad, but also someone that you respect because of the, you know, the level he fished at. So he always, that's how we end our conversation. You know, go do you be safe. And I, appreciate it every time i hear it and it's kind of that one last call me in the night before like okay homework's been done you know basically like it's time to turn in the test 
you know, that's all we got left. Kind of don't, don't put pressure on yourself. Just go, go do what you studied for and see how it turns out. That's very solid, practical advice for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. And it, it, I was going to say, you know, one thing on that too, as far yeah. as being able to fish a tournament day and not put all that pressure on yourself, really make, you know, that's what happened in Mille Lacs for me. I don't try to carry pressure to do, I, I, I want to do well, but I'm not ultra worried if, if I'm having that bad day because I know it happens. So go fish what I want to fish hard. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've said it. Hey, if they beat me, I'll tip my hat to them. They earned it then. So, But part of it is, and, and I think we've highlighted it well in this discussion, you've kind of, you know, it sounds weird to describe it this way. You yourself, your knowledge has earned the right for you to trust it because that's how much time and effort you've put in. You could blindly trust your gut and be completely wrong if you don't have a lot of experience being able to trust. And that's why it's so important to experiment with plans B, C and D to tie a whole bow on this, because the more you learn, the more your gut probably is right because your gut has seen all of these things, has tried these tactics, has tried these spots. You kind of earn that right to have that conversation with yourself and that belief in yourself through a lot of work and probably a lot of really slow days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I've I've went to B and it didn't work out, went to C and it didn't work out before. So I, I've, I've experienced the good and the bad or I've had that... Uh, well, it was actually the shootout um, two years ago on Mille Lacs. Uh, day one, I was in fourth place. Uh, the camera boat was out. They wanted to put a cameraman in my boat. They they were next to me. I had a camera in the boat day one as well. I pulled 40-plus pounds out of one particular area. The next day, there was another small tournament out there, and that spot got a lot of pressure. And I pulled the plug within an hour of the day. And the tournament director called because they were looking for me and said, can you send us a coordinate? We want, we need to get the camera in your boat. I said, yep. Sent them the coordinate and the the driver of the chase boat called me and said, are you serious? Is this right? You were on the totally opposite end of the lake. I said, yep. I said, I pulled the plug. I said, it wasn't, I said, it wasn't right. And you know, I just had that gut feeling. I pulled 40 pounds out of this spot day one just didn't feel right to me. I pulled the plug and it ended up being the right call. I fell, you know, half pound short of winning, but still had another 40 pound day, very competitive day. Um, that was one of them things where again, you know, people, if they were actually in the boat, they'd be like, you're crazy. Why would you leave this? And I was catching fish too. It's not like I went in there and didn't catch any, um, but it was a gut feeling and it was right. So yeah, like you said, you, you earn it, but I've also done that before. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I probably should have stayed. <laughs> you know, it just didn't work out. But you got to yeah. trust it. got to trust yourself. Well, and at the end of the day, especially in a tournament setting, a choice either has to be made or you have to drop it because either you got to be committed to where you are oh, or yeah. you got to be in that spot you've been thinking about. I'd imagine you cannot live in that headspace between those two spots. You got to be where you, you got to be on your way to where you want to be or you got to be where you want to be. Being in between those two things probably doesn't work too well, especially from the mental side of things. Hundred percent. You know the way I approach it. I got about one minute. I give myself one minute to to assess, and you know when it gets the time to maybe move, I don't dwell on it. I think about it for about maybe one cast, call it, <laughs> and I either say, "Nope, I'm going to grind it out," or, "Yep, real men, let's go." Yeah, and it's instant. It's now. It's not. Eh, nope. It's now. Like you said, we're on our way to the next spot, and I am a hundred percent committed to the decision I just made. Yep. I, you, you can't, 
you can't second guess. You don't have time. And, and all you're going to do is, you know, like you said, mentally, we've talked about so much as you're going, should I go back? Should I have left? Should I do this? Ding, you had that bite. Now you just missed it. You know, you just have to be committed and fish hard. And again, it comes down to trust in yourself, trust your gut, trust, you know, trust your experience. And Josh, I want to thank you for an incredible conversation. This is so insightful. I appreciate your openness, your willingness to have this chat. But before I let you go, um, there are a lot of people and a lot of companies that support you. I, I'd love to give you a chance to give them a shout out. Anyone that um, anyone that's been giving you support, the companies that support you, the people who support you, please give them some love because this isn't it, it might be an individual sport, but as you've mentioned several times, it cannot be done by one person. It just simply can't. No, yeah, and and with that being said, first and foremost, my wife, um, like you just said, sure, on paper it's an individual sport. It's not. It's not at all. There is truly a team, and it starts at home because you know our two and a half year old without my wife, I'm not doing this. You know, and she she holds down the home fort while I'm gone, and. I am so thankful for that. Um, my my parents, you know, they're always right there supporting me. My brothers, obviously, I get to fish, you know, compete against one of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, sponsors, Yamaha, since day one, they were they were the one that took a chance on a young, young guy. First one. Um, yep, they took a chance on me right away. And... Um, I don't think they regret it right now, but no, uh, I, no I'm I, so I grateful for, I'm so grateful for Yamaha. They're such good people. They are. And that's another thing too, is they're, they're genuine people. Um, fun to hang out with, you know, fun to see at all the events, Yardcraft boats. I've been running Yardcraft for two years now and it's been nothing but good things. Absolutely love working with all of them. Um, and the performance of the boat has blown my mind. It, I've never seen a better laid out top cap than that 219. There is so much storage and I, I can't even fill it. I can't. The other day <laughs> I, I opened something. one of my compartments. I have four sweatshirts stuffed in there because it's like, I don't need to pull them out. And I just wear another one and put it in there at the end of the day and forget about it because I have so much room. Um, <laughs> Vortex optics. You know, we were talking, we did a lot of fishing talk here. I'm a huge hunter, especially archery hunter. Um, Vortex Optics has been awesome for me. Um, obviously, top of the line, some of the best optics out there. And uh, I definitely do not go out to my stand without without a pair of their binos. It's, uh, it's good stuff and very reliable. And again, that's a company, you know, they have pretty much a no questions asked warranty. I, last time I was down there, they were telling me a story. A guy just flat out admitted, he's like, I ran over my binoculars. And they said, no problem, new pair. You know, that wasn't any manufacturer defect or anything. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, they're great. They stand behind their product. They do, and they should because it's a great product. Um, offshore tackle, I love trolling. Planer boards, I pull them all the time. I pull them in weird situations, too. I don't know how many people are like, you're doing what? Uh, I do. I love pulling my offshore planer boards. Um, Worldwide Marine uh, Insurance. I've had to call them once. I'm glad they're there <laughs> for me. I will say that. It was a couple of years ago and on my least favorite body of water, Winnebago. <laughs> but awesome people to deal with. Yep, they've always got my insurance all, all ready to go. And like I said, I had to make that call once. But uh, I, Bell Ford, that's a local one. Uh, Ford dealership here. Uh, my truck, 
obviously the miles we put on it, the service work, you know, that goes into our vehicles, they have to be top notch. I have to be ready to go when I'm, you know, driving multiple hours, pulling a 21 foot fiberglass boat. Um, I appreciate all the guys over at Belford. They always have me in and out and everything's top notch. And if people want to stay up to date on you and on social media with your fishing adventures, where can they do that? How can they do that? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook. Um, again, just my name, Joshua Blosser. Same with on Instagram are the two best places. I do have a Twitter. I will admit I'm not super active on Twitter, but my my Facebook and Instagram. Um, and, and by all means, if you have a question, want to reach out, good, bad, and different, shoot me a message on Facebook. I, I, I will respond. I will. Um, I actually enjoy getting questions and, um, you know, random thoughts, tidbits, whatever it might be. I enjoy getting them. So if, yep, you got a question, don't, don't be afraid. Shoot me a message. Awesome. Well, again, Josh, thank you so much for the time. This was, I had so much fun with this conversation. I hope you had fun as well. Thank you for sharing your knowledge you got a lot of big tournaments coming up here with HDH. Good luck the rest of the way, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Hey, I appreciate it, Nate. I had a blast as well. This uh, time flew here. It was great. It was it fun does. talking to you. I hope we get a chance to do it again. Definitely. We definitely will. Thank you, sir. Wow. What? A fantastic conversation that was. I just can't get over it. I, I really can't. How fortunate I am, we are, to be able to tap into a resource like Josh. How grateful I am for his willingness to take the time to educate all of us, to give his point of view on a lot of really important things in the fishing world. And I hope, as always, I hope you enjoyed it as well because that was that was a thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable conversation. A little peek behind the curtain here. Originally, we were only scheduled to talk for probably 30 to 40 minutes. We talked for well north of an hour, but we both enjoyed it. It came so easily and there was so much good ground we could cover. Anytime you have someone with that level of knowledge who's willing to be that open and honest and, and share all of that information as so many of our guests are, I feel that while I always want to be respectful of their time, I want to make sure, and I also feel it's my responsibility to make sure for your sake that we extract as much information from these awesome guests as possible. And I feel like we got so many great pieces of information from Josh. So again, just had so much fun recording that, learned a whole lot. The thing I really appreciated, and it, it came through several times throughout the interview, is just Josh's sense of perspective. And I think that's a lesson we can all latch on to. One of the best fishing tips you can get, in my opinion, is to not take it too seriously, no matter what level you want to do this at, whether you're a weekend warrior, someone who just wets a line every once in a while, or someone who's an aspiring tournament angler. Understanding fishing's place and hunting for that matter, if that's your jam, understanding your outdoor activities place in the grand scheme of life is huge to how you will enjoy that activity. Knowing that even for someone who takes it as seriously as Josh takes it, he has openly admitted that as soon as it stops being fun, it's over. And I think if someone in that position can say that, 
and can be honest about that. And I believe him when he says that. That's just such an important reminder for all of us that fishing and hunting are supposed to be additives to our lives, to our lives, the beneficial, augmenting our existence here on this earth. If the experiences you're giving yourself hunting and fishing are not doing that, something's wrong. And I appreciated Josh's perspective. Even in the stories he shared, he just maintained such good perspective. And make no mistake, he's extremely driven. That comes through as well. He's a determined guy. You have to be to succeed at that level of anything, much less fishing. But he it's just enjoyable to see how he balances his competitive fire with his view of the world at large and the bigger picture and the grand scheme of things. And I feel like that's a unique combination to find at someone who operates at such such a high level in the tournaments he's fishing. Don't forget when we talked to Matt Trotz and Andy Cleveland of H2H Fishing, they mentioned that the selection process for this an initial group of professional walleye series anglers was rigorous. Over 100 applications, only 32 could get picked. They had to shut down the applications for this because they didn't want to tell too many people no. You have to be a pretty incredible angler to make the cut here. And that's just a little reminder. If, if, if the last hour or so was not enough of a, of a clue into what a high-level fisherman Josh Blosser is, that's where he ranks in the grand scheme of competitive walleye anglers right now. And if he can have that sense of balance and perspective when it comes to fishing, I feel we all can, and we all need to strive for it. Because, I mean, sometimes, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, sometimes I take it way too seriously. But if a guy who makes part of his living fishing can find time to find to put fishing in its place and to ensure that the fun is always present in what he's doing, then I definitely can. Some great tips. Very practical stuff. Um, so much of what we discussed is mental when it comes to the tips Josh gave and equipment matters. And we talked about that as well, but how fishing at a high level is such a mental thing. And I think all of us would be better served if we had a little tournament angler mindset in us when we go out fishing. I think that that can be a way to enhance the fun as well, but also enhance the quality of the experiences you're having while out fishing. Challenge yourself to fish new places, to try new techniques, different times of day, different target species, whatever it might be. If you do it in a thoughtful and intentional way, you're going to learn even from the bad days. And that's something Josh hit on too. There's no such thing as a bad day or an unproductive outing if you're going to learn something from it. That is so huge. When I hop in the truck after my fishing outings, and there are plenty of bad ones, I do a debrief with myself. What would I have done differently? What did I, even after the lack of success, what did I believe I was doing correctly? What would I do again? What could I have been doing wrong? 
because there are so many variables to consider in that equation. If you want to be a successful angler, you have to be thoughtful about what you're doing. That was my takeaway from most of the tips Josh provided. Because, yeah, anyone who saves up the coin can go out and get some nice electronics, can get some nice rods and reels, can get the latest, hottest baits. But if you're not putting any brain power into what you're doing and how you're applying all of those things, it doesn't much matter. That's how I see it anyway. And I think that's kind of what Josh drove home as well. So thanks again to Josh Blosser for being an incredible guest. I hope to have him on again. Um, we kicked around maybe doing a hunting show here this fall after he's done chasing walleyes across our beautiful country. But that might be a different topic for a different day. But I, I hope to do that as well because I just love to talk about the outdoors with him. I had a great time having him on. would love to have him on again. And just super appreciative again of the time he took. So big, big thank you to Josh Blosser. And so... It's time to move on to the time ahead, the week ahead, whenever you're listening to this with an eye forward toward the next episode. But thank you very much for listening to this show. As always, I hope you enjoyed it. Again, just to reiterate, if you like what you heard, don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this episode right now. Be sure to check out NathanWolfelOutdoors.com for the latest stories. Follow me on Facebook at NathanWolfelOutdoors, on Instagram at ndubs 41 that's ndubs 41 on instagram or shoot me an email a topic you want to hear about a guest you'd like to hear from a question you have something you'd like discussed reach out natewoffel at gmail.com n-a-t-e-w-o-e-l-f-e-l at gmail.com so to tie a bow on this thing thank you again for listening this would be no fun without you all listening so if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and share it. I want to make this group as big as possible. I feel so much love from all of you who have taken the time to listen to all these episodes, a bunch of you who reach out to me and give me feedback on the episodes, who tell me what you like and don't like, Who even those of you who just pop in to let me know that you listen. I love you. I appreciate you. Don't be afraid to share this with other people you think could take some enjoyment from this or learn something from this. But thanks for being listeners, because honestly, if I was just talking into a microphone by myself or if it was just me and a guest having a chat amongst the two of us, it'd be fun. But there really wouldn't be much of a point. It's all of you who make this what it is. I want to give a quick shout out to my man, Justin Pearson, who has helped me throughout this entire process. From everything, from getting the audio set up the way I need it to just basic concepts of podcasting, getting up and going 12 episodes strong, and I wouldn't really be here. I wouldn't have gotten to episode one without him. So I want to give him a quick shout out, show him a little love. I appreciate him. And my brother-in-law, Mitchell Lemons, I need to give him a shout out. Uh, he does some awesome behind the scenes work for me as well from an audio standpoint, from an editing standpoint, from a feedback and tip standpoint. I appreciate you too, brother. Thank you very much. So now that my Academy Awards acceptance speech has concluded, I hope you get to spend some time in the outdoors between now and the next time we speak. And we'll talk again real soon.